0: You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council
1: with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the Train Track Enclosed Nerve Center, that's the headquarters of the Office of Cable, TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment. It's also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of D.C. If you don't follow us already, you've missed the boat. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Listeners, we're working our way through recording three rounds of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. These focus mainly on getting to know the council members' backgrounds, successes, struggles, and the people who shape and surround them. In the fourth round, we're broadening things out, tackling issues that interest the council members and me. So uh, now, without any further ado, we'll go to council member at large, Robert White. Thanks for having me back. Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming. Uh, and the topic we decided uh, to tackle with uh, Council Member White is an interesting one, which is we're going to look at his biography and how it intersects with the council's policy world. You'd kind of hope it happens this way. If the council is tackling topics that don't intersect with the daily lives of the citizens of the district, including the members of the council – we're doing something wrong.
0: That's right. That's right. Democracy developed this way for a reason. We don't, we don't have philosopher kings. Uh, we have real people yeah. uh, doing the people's work.
1: Exactly. Um, so a, a topic that has been sort of a hot topic of late is uh, Native Washingtonians. Yeah, And you're a, a fifth-generation uh, Native Washingtonian. We've talked about that before. So uh, talk about the, um, the, the Native Washingtonian... Uh, We've always loved native Washingtonians, but Hope so. n- never have we loved them more, I feel, <laughs> than, than in recent days. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh,
0: so as, as a native uh, Washingtonian, I, I am very protective of uh, the culture of the city uh, be, because we, we have lost so many people over the past, especially 20 years, uh, due to the increased cost of living here more than anything, and some of it uh, due, due to other factors. But the culture of the city uh, had still uh, remained, or at least struggled to, to remain. And so anytime I see the culture of the city under threat, uh, I take it personally. And most recently, it intersected with go-go music. Uh, I grew up uh, sneaking into go-go's, and then when I was old enough to, to, to really go, uh, spending my little bit of hard-arm money to, to get into the go-go's. And so when I saw uh, go-go music under threat, uh, I had to just show up.
1: Absolutely. Um, uh, one one topic as a detail-oriented person that I struggle with is, go, go, is it capital G, capital G, capital G, lowercase g, is there a hyphen? See, it doesn't matter as long as you rock with it. As long as uh, you rock but, with it. that's, but, that's, the, that's but, the
0: proper answer. But but if you want a very proper answer, capital G, uh, hyphen, lowercase g.
1: Okay. I do, th- I do think that is, uh, I do think that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing that I do think we need to, to uh, think about, because I know that the uh, the council passed a ceremonial resolution recognizing uh, and celebrating uh, Native Washingtonians, yeah. is we also need, like, you know how they have, uh, like, um, companies have pins, like, you know, your 10-year, 20-year. There's some folks, um, that, and I don't want to uh, point anyone out, there's council members that are nearly Native Washingtonians that mm-hmm. moved in super early in life and have been here forever. And people probably assume they're Native Too Washingtonians. Long. But we need to, like, celebrate people that have been here forever because right. there's some people that just miss that Native Washingtonian. But if you've been here, yeah, you know, decades, I've been here 20 years. There's people that have been here 50 years. Right we got to find a way to celebrate them, too.
0: Yeah, you, there should be some type of honorary pin. And, and you know, you get extra points if, uh, if you got here in the 80s and 90s, because then you've seen so much of the change in, in the district. Uh, but the, the issue with uh, Native Washingtonians that, that I think that we have to be careful about is that it's, it, it should be something that is to be celebrated, not something uh, used for division. And so, you know, there are people who are native to, to this city uh, who, who, who don't care enough about the people of this city. And there are some people who transplanted here uh, who care enormously. And, you know, we would be wise to remember that Marion Barry is not a, was not a native Washingtonian. Uh, but no one would argue
1: uh, that, that he didn't love this city with all of his heart. That's true. That's true. My daughter is a native Washingtonian, and I will not have my daughter outranking me. That's right. I love her dearly, but I will not have her outranking me. <laughs> Good luck with that.
0: <laughs> I have two
1: daughters. She, so. ra- she outranks me at home <laughs> already. Right. Uh, uh, so again, So, to so sticking with the biography, um, we talked about this uh, last time. You had a lot of um, sadness and a lot of scary and sad moments packed into your, your early childhood. Yeah. Um, One is um, another topic that's been in the news is uh, Vision Zero. Mm -hmm. And you were in a terrible, terrible car accident. That's right. That you were lucky to survive. Yeah. Um, So talk a little bit about that and about how that. I I haven't heard a ton of people make that connection Mm -hmm. that as a survivor of a near fatal accident, how that might inform How you view Vision Zero. Yeah. So, and and if
0: I ever start talking too long about any of these issues, feel free to cut me off because I have lots of thoughts about lots of things. Uh, But, you know, for very brief background, you you should listen to the previous episodes, uh, but I was in a car accident on New Hampshire Avenue when I was eight. And believe it or not, a car landed on top of our car uh, and directly on my head, split my skull open, uh, collapsed the the roof of my mouth. And I was medevaced uh, to the ICU uh, and spent several weeks in the hospital recovering and then many more weeks uh, at home recovering. Um, And so, you know, when I when I look at the issue of uh, vehicle safety, pedestrian safety, bicycle safety, uh, certainly there is a very uh, personal element. Uh, but it's also something that I just recognize uh, as a resident, uh, as a as a parent, you know, who has a kids who, who might run into the street or are still learning. My, my oldest daughter is not yet three, still learning that you have to look both ways uh, in a city that's increasingly populated and therefore increasingly congested. Uh, th- this is an issue that, that really impacts or could impact uh, any of us. And uh, one of the things that I try to bring to this conversation is is less about my personal uh, experience having been in a car accident and more of my personal experience as a native Washingtonian who are frankly folks, long-time residents are folks who are often left out of this conversation. We're going, we're saying this is what we're doing in your community to make it safer instead of uh, working with those communities. And many of the advocates uh, on pedestrian and especially bicycle safety uh, tend not to be African-American, Native Washingtonians. And so we need to find a way to, to diversify this conversation and, and to pull more people uh, into, into the conversation and into leadership roles. We have to protect, protect uh, pedestrians. We have to protect bicyclists. But we don't want it to become a culturally divisive issue uh, or else we're, we're frankly moving backwards and not forward.
1: Right, because Lord knows the victims are diverse. That's right. So there's no reason the advocates. That's right. And so be.
0: yeah, so we you know I think the uh, the the goals of Vision Zero are 100 percent right. Uh, I applaud the mayor for for this effort, um, but we just need to make sure that the process doesn't get in the way of of our execution
1: here. Right. And just to clarify, your accident happened in Maryland. It did. So yes, yes. I, I don't want to indicate a correlation there, but You're right. Just stay in the district area. that's right that's right um so uh, so another um incredibly t- i i really feel for your father um Me because <laughs> between between your accident and and uh your loss of your mother one um, month apart right Poor guy. uh so so uh, talk a little bit about that um yeah, oh, sorry to, to just drag you Ooh, back. No, through. it's all right. So I'm sad, I'm, sad memories. But. For
0: for people who don't know, I'm 37, and I tell people I lived the hell out of these 37 years. Uh, but but my personal experience informs so much of who I am and so much of my my goals. Uh, but but you know, I lost my mother uh, at a very young age. Uh, she was young um, to to breast cancer, and so you know, first of all, uh, I connect myself closely. With uh, breast cancer awareness and breast cancer survivors, and then cancer uh, more more generally, uh, but also women's health and frankly women's issues, uh, because uh, I lost my mother, who was just I mean a pillar of of guidance and love uh, in my life, and believe it or not, even though she passed when I was eight, you know played an incredibly influential role in how I developed uh, as a person, as a man. But now I have uh, an incredible wife and two very, very special uh, young daughters. And, and I recognize that we still live in a society that undervalues women, uh, that puts unfair expectations on women. And so I remind my, especially my oldest daughter, every day, say, don't let anybody tell you you can't be king, uh, because you can be anything that you wanna be. And I try to make sure that uh, I exemplify those values in how I act uh, around my daughters and not around my daughters. Uh, I made sure I, I married a strong woman, uh, which, which doesn't bother me in, in any way. In fact, I love it and appreciate it. Uh, and I try to bring those values to, to my work as well.
1: And just to clarify, you said you married a strong woman. At, is there any other kind? Uh, not, if not, there are <laughs> any not strong women, I have not uh, encountered any in my life. That's right. No, if if there are, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think they they stopped making that model.
0: That's right. A number of years That's ago. Right. But but it's you know it's interesting because you know one of the issues that came up early in my time at the council was this uh, death with dignity bill uh, which is a bill that would allow people who are very terminally ill in their last couple months of life according to doctors uh, to uh, terminate their, their, their lives by choice so that they don't live one in suffering, that they don't live in unpredictability of their, their last days and they can you know really take uh, take their life uh, on their own terms and so this is a, such a heavy and often divisive issue. But, you know, having kind of lived through seeing my mother struggle with breast cancer and, you know, recognizing my strong relationship with my father, I had to ask myself, well, you know, if my father, and I'm now an adult, you know, if my father uh, developed a a painful form of cancer and, you know, he decided uh, that he wanted to pursue death with dignity, uh, how would I view this issue? And what I know for a fact is that I wouldn't want to see my father suffer and that I want to see him keep his dignity as I want to keep my dignity. Um, And so, you know, if the question were ever called, and I pray that it's not, you know, I I would want that option for my own father. And so that means that I have to make sure as a legislator, I I ensure that that option is there for for any resident who who may unfortunately uh, need it. Nobody's going to want it, but who, who may feel like they need it.
1: Yeah, I mean that was uh, uh, understandably people don't often turn to to Channel Thirteen for gripping uh, must-watch uh, television. Yeah, that was a tearjerker. Um, but, but the the debate on uh, and and I'm not um, making light of it, but yeah. but the the debate on the death with dignity bill was gripping. I it mean, was. just watching people talk about their personal experiences yeah. and. Uh, in some cases, picturing family members in those yeah. situations was bad enough. In other cases, remembering
0: yeah.
1: family members in those situations right. it was just um, just chills you to the bone. I yeah. mean, but it just uh, too often. I think people make light of council members and live in the fast life, and how it's just glitzy and, yeah. and you know, it's this high profile existence, and it's a struggle. I mean, it's a real. You're, I was reminded, you're a philosophy major, and. Yeah. This is real. It is. It's philosophy, but it's real. It's it, um, it's it's very real. It's very real, and, and it's interesting because you
0: know every once in a while I joke with my wife that uh, uh, if she's she's enjoying the glamorous life, <laughs> <laughs> she rolls her eyes uh, absolutely <laughs> yeah, as I as I walk in at nine ten o'clock most nights, you know, and uh, and and you know the pressure of my job puts obviously a lot of pressure and burden on on the family, so.
1: Yep. And and uh and Mary Che when when she's on the show, uh always brings up Yvette Alexander uh makes the point that um the death with dignity law probably would not be law um if it wasn't for Yvette Alexander because that bill had to pass through Yvette Alexander's committee. Mm, that's right. And Yvette Alexander was personally opposed to the bill. And generally listeners, that is the power of committee chairmanship is yes. that you control which bills that are in the jurisdiction of your committee do or don't come to a hearing, come to a vote. She decided that was an important enough bill, even though she was personally opposed, she had a hearing, let it go through her committee and come to a full council vote and become law yeah. despite being personally opposed. And okay. that is a, literally has given me shivers. I mean, yeah. that's a remarkable I re, I, I really thing. respected that. I mean, if that, uh, that is a national model yeah. of courage to me. It really is. Um, but uh, anyway, man, we need to go someplace yeah, light, different with light this light conversation. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the children. Yes. Um, well, let's, first, let's talk about housing. So before you started a family, what was your, your living situation in the district, so, uh, like, like apartment slash
0: house-wise? Uh, li- Lived in house, um, a house, a you know, regular kind of traditional D.C. Uh, row house, I think they're called Colonials, um, in, uh, in Brightwood Park. And uh so solo solo dude you were living in a house already. Well, so I bought the house when my wife and I started dating. It took so long to rehab it that um uh, through a long engagement uh we we dated, got engaged and spent most of our engagement before we moved into the house. Okay. Uh, and so at first we lived in southwest in a condo mm-hmm. in southwest. Um, just before we got married, we moved to our house in, uh, in Brightwood Park. Gotcha. Yeah. And thought we'd be there forever. And now, <laughs> and now with two, and, and so where are you yeah. now? So now we are in Shepherd Park and, and, and what happened was this house that really kind of felt so perfect and, and spacious. As soon as we added one kid, you know, we didn't know that something so small would take up so much room with their, you know, with all the things that, that come along with, with kids. And um, and the other thing that comes along with kids, uh, my in-laws should, should mute at this point, is in-laws, they come for longer periods of time, so minimum a, a week. And, um, you know, your house starts to feel really small. And so my wife and I realized it's, it's very interesting what happened. We first realized that By the time we had a second kid, we probably would have to move because the house really was small for a family, uh, especially when you had out-of-state family who visited. And so we knew we would have to move at some point. We also realized that uh, our kids were going to go to D.C. public schools, and we didn't want to be overly concerned about you know, the, the lottery system or this thing or that thing. And so we said, look, we got to make sure we can't afford private school, so it's just not an option. So it's better to buy a more expensive house uh, than it is to, to ever feel like you have to pay for, for private school. Um, and so we, we made a, a really tremendous financial sacrifice uh, to go um, somewhat prematurely to, to where we were going to spend the rest of our uh, adult lives. And so we moved to, to Shepherd Park.
1: Gotcha. And then this house is big enough for now for two children. Yes, and in-laws. Um, and in-laws.
0: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's a great community. There are a lot of uh, a lot of kids in, in, in that community as well, a strong uh, elementary school. And uh, my daughters will uh, most likely go to the, the junior high and high school that their grandparents went to, uh, my mom and dad, uh, which is Wilson and Wilson, and that's, uh, that's pretty cool.
1: Okay, and how many children could this house accommodate? It,
0: it, it, it could only, our family can only accommodate two kids. We can't afford anymore uh, because the the other reality is that my daughters, uh, I'm so thankful for universal pre-K. My daughters will only overlap in uh, daycare or or early childhood development for a couple months. But those couple months are going to be, I mean, an incredible financial strain uh, on, on our family. We're going to be, uh, probably eating ramen noodles every night for a couple months while they, while they overlap, uh, just because the, the cost of childcare in the city is just so, so outlandish. It is not uncommon for people in this city to limit their number of kids to the number of kids that they can afford to, to have in, in daycare. Uh, that, that's become somewhat common in our city. And so one of the first things I did as a council member was to work on a bill called the BEGIN Act um, that address the cost and availability of child care while also trying to uh, uh, stabilize the, uh, the the market there, the job market, because these teachers in these early childhood development centers uh, don't make very much money. Now, we merged that bill with a bill that Council Member Vince Gray wrote. The uh, new bill, combined bill, became the Birth the Three for All DC Act, and uh, we got that passed the law, and now we're working uh, steadily on funding it.
1: Yeah, and with the uh, the sort of boom we've had of younger council members, and and you know, it's been a uh, little while since we'd had uh, uh, council members with brand new children. Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, it's it's false to say council members need to live something to be able to legislate it, um, but it helps. You know, it yes. clearly helps, and yes. I, I think it. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's been a big help to have council members who are dealing with daycare yeah issues i mean it really is it's it's uh it's another each kid is the equivalent of another rent payment another mortgage payment very much um and it's yeah it's striking yeah
0: it is and and it's something that impacts our city in such a broad way but now council members uh, are feeling it personally and you know i made this my number one education issue in my first year and said, I, "I want this to be a permanent part of our conversation in the city." Uh, and then uh, Vince Gray uh, started doing work there. The mayor started doing work there. And so I now think that early childhood education is a priority for the city. We just need to figure out how to make it more real. Uh, but I'm glad that we all kind of see that we need to address this.
1: Yeah, definitely. There, you know, is a down payment in the current uh, budget towards birth to three. Do you have any prediction when you think birth to three will be fully funded, just like universal pre-K is, is well, we, funded? We had a very large source
0: of funding in uh the when we legalized sports betting. And um and that would have gotten us a significant uh portion of the way there. Uh, unfortunately in the mayor's budget she she stripped the uh the funds from uh early childhood development and, and used them kinda in the general pot. And so we're going to have to find another tool. I am confident that within the next two years, we will be able to find a way to get it funded.
1: And you said that the mayor uh, stripped the sports betting money and put that money in the general pot. Now, um, if we are able to tax marijuana, we could ironically use general pot to fund birth to Three. (laughs) And then it would come full circle. That's right, that's right. There's always that option. and I argue there's probably more money, in that's right. In, that's right. In uh, taxing and regulating marijuana than there is even in in uh, sports betting. Yeah, we.
0: I mean, we're gonna. It's gonna happen someday. So I think we should. You know, we we need to just wrap our heads around doing it now. Uh, of course, the biggest impediment, the real impediment, here is the federal government. So we just need. Yeah. To, if you listen, federal government, please get out the way.
1: Right. Because I mean, getting the rider taken out by the House is probably no uh, big deal. Right. But having the Senate agree and having the president sign yeah, that's might be a bigger challenge. A bigger, a challenge. Uh, that's bigger right. challenge. That's right. Um, but, uh, but we shall see. Um, so— I also know, um, and and so you said so. School choice wise, so you're, you're looking at public schools. Are you looking at all? Would you be looking at all charter schools? I realize you have some time. Yeah.
0: So uh, my daughter, uh, our, our oldest daughter, is going to be in pre K three next year, and so we're doing the the regular DC parent thing. We went into the lottery system this year. We did all our school visits and uh, visited uh, uh, DC uh, traditional public schools uh, and charter schools. Uh, our priority as parents is we. Really wanted our daughters in a dual language program. We weren't able to to get her into one, uh, but we were lucky to to still be able to go to our neighborhood school. Um, so, you know, my, my belief: charter schools are public schools, and um, as a parent, as most parents do, um, I'm looking at looking at all options, and and I think that they all have to be options, including your neighborhood school. So, our neighborhood school is great. The only reason we were looking beyond that. Is because our neighborhood school isn't a dual language school, and I think that's something that our charter schools in our city more broadly has to really focus on. Is you know charter schools were created to really be a place to explore uh, new policies and new ideas, not to just replicate what DC public schools could already do. Uh, that's not what we need the most. We need people who can really we need uh, schools that can really push the boundaries, uh, push 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 our way of thinking about public education. Um, so, um, you know, I recognize the value they play as a parent, you know, I'm, uh, uh, not enjoying the process, the, the school lottery process, but you know, that just puts me in a very large boat.
1: Yep. Yep. It, Cause earlier you'd mentioned, uh, being interested in DC public schools. And I didn't know if you were using that as an umbrella to, for public and public charter. Yeah, They all so public That's public what schools. I was just that's right. I appreciate that. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a little bit that the the glass is always greener, that back in the day when there wasn't any choice, you'd lament that there wasn't any choice. And now that there is choice, it's a bit of an embarrassment of riches that you have to do so much research and visit all the schools and go to all the open houses, Yeah, which is great. It's great that there's so many options, but man, it does feel—I remember back to those days, and it does just feel like a bit of a—
0: you know, it, yeah.
1: how are we going to get to each of these schools yeah. and transportation and what will be the, the pathway if we go to the school for elementary, then what's the middle and what's the high school? That's right.
0: And, and being a parent in this process was really helpful me, for me as a, a council member, because it was a reminder of how different um, the the thought process is as a parent, as opposed to a, a policymaker or an agency. I don't want to say bureaucrat because that's pejorative, but but somebody who works for or leads agency, And, you know, so we look at something like our star rating system, how we rate our schools. As a parent, there are hundreds of schools in this city. So if I'm looking as a parent and I'm trying to filter hundreds of options, I'm probably not doing a lot of looking at schools that have one stars and two stars. So that's the reality as a parent. What it made me think as a as a policymaker is what are we doing to support these one and two star schools so that parents are looking at them strongly so that they do have uh, an opportunity to to grow Um, And and as a parent, I also realized that there weren't a lot of other parents of color at most of these open houses. And so it made me think, you know, for our most competitive schools, what are we doing in terms of outreach to uh, families of color, to low income communities? Why am I seeing such an imbalance in who I'm seeing at these open houses for the schools? And does this uh, translate into their application pool? So, you know, we may be adding to. Uh, segregation in our school without really knowing it because we're looking at this so much from a policy standpoint as opposed to a practical parent standpoint. So it's, it's, it's helpful to, to live through the
1: experience. Yep. Yeah. A few quick closeout points because we're near the end of our time. One is, you know, we just had the NBA draft, like, you know, we have the NFL draft. What they do there to pull up the equivalent of the one and two star schools is you give them a high draft pick yes. so that they can rise up to the higher ranks. And I just wonder what the equivalent of that would be if it's funding, if it's principals, if it's teachers. So, I mean, that's yeah a question to, to think about what we can do to give them, you know, an unnatural that's right. uh, you know, a boost, a giant boost to get yeah. them. Because otherwise, they're just going to stay in the basement. Everyone's going to say it's a one-star school. That's right. People are going to opt out of the one-star school, and teachers and administration wise, and that there's yeah. a no-win situation. That's the first point. Second point, anyone who doubts that the school lottery is fair, my daughter is at a uh, dual-language five-star school. <laughs> Council member couldn't get into a dual-language school. Oh, so I, the, I lotter- got, the lottery is fair. Boom. I got my ninth choice. Boom. Boom. <laughs> um, and uh, third point, real fast, so I'm going to do a quick close-out question. Um, I, we talked last time about how you did study abroad. Yeah. Um, I know that study abroad was something that, that I believe got cut yeah. um, in the recent budget. Do you think that money is gonna come back? So um,
0: my hope is that it will. Uh, I know council member Brandon Todd uh, raised some concerns about it, so we're gonna work between the first reading and the second reading. I think it's so incredibly important. You I, and I are both coming yeah, from that background. Yeah, and I mean, just, it, it, there are a few things that will shape a young person's learning as much as study
1: abroad, so we're working on that. Yeah, gotta get knocked out of your comfort zone. That's right. See another got way of doing to, things. Absolutely. got to. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so unfortunately, last round we had an awesome closeout question. We spent a ton of time on this This round. We have a quicker one. Um, So I'm going to name you some things, and I want you to say the things, put in order the things you'd have the most trouble living without. Um, And those are uh, phone, and I mean the part of the phone you actually talk on, Mm -hmm. text, email, social media. Um, Phone is the easiest thing to, to
0: live without um text is the most important i'm a little random because i'm i'm short on sleep from my 2 month old uh uh email and whatever else was in there is in the middle media. social media there we go email and social media are right in the middle so i would say the things that I, I can't live without the most text message
1: then social media then email last is phone okay final answer Gotcha. It's kind of like this is the this this round's version of the dessert ranking. That's right. So, but it's interesting. Cause people live or die for. for All right. So no
0: memorization stuff. stuff next time with the with with council members with new kids.
1: No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> no, no, it's only four, that's, you know? three too many. <laughs> yeah, and some, for some of our older council members, you can't give them a four-item list. Cause, you no know, comment. Yeah, you know, end-of-life issues. Oh. oh, I'm just being mean. Um, but anyway, uh, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, tune in next time. We are DC Radio 96.3 on your HD4 dial or dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing a Council. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye.